vending machines. Known for candy. Famous for! Dollar went out. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why vending machines are secretly incredibly fascinating. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone because the great Robert Brockway and the great The Internet's Sean Baby return this week. Because I took that little interface on the vending machine of guests and I punched in 1900 hot dog. 1-900-HOT-DOG, folks, do you remember when comedy websites and their articles were fun to read and enjoyable to experience, and somebody put some actual effort and care into the thing you were reading, because you deserve that? Well, that was common in the past. It's rare now. This show's links will be full of links to 1-900-HOT-DOG, the website where that is still true. They're also much more than that. Robert is a wonderful novelist. Sean is a wonderful gaming journalist and game designer. I'm so glad Robert and Sean took time out of all that to guest on this podcast. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes and used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Canarsie and Lenape peoples. Acknowledge Robert recorded this on the traditional land of the Podunk and Wangunk people. Acknowledge Sean recorded this on the traditional land of the Patwin, Muwekma, and Karkin people. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about vending machines, a self-explanatory topic, also a patron-chosen topic for the month of March. Many, many thanks to Neil S., and Deb L., and Christopher B. for suggesting that topic, cheerleading that topic in the Patreon polls. It was a group effort and a really exciting one. So... Please sit back or stand there, smoothing and uncrinkling a dollar bill, even though you would think like the wallet and the body heat, it would kind of iron it out over time, like flatten it, heat it, press it. I don't know how that doesn't happen. Either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Robert Brockway and Sean Baby. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Robert, I'm so glad you're back. And uh, it's very exciting. I always start by asking guests their relationship to the topic or opinion of it. Either of you can start, but how do you feel about vending machines? Ooh, strongly. Very strongly. Okay. Okay. Oh. I can't Both top of that. you or Sean, are you taking in Robert's reaction? No, I um, generally have a real, like, almost depression when I have to eat out of a vending machine. Like if I'm in a situation, I'm like, Oh no, I have to do dinner out of a vending machine. That's a real, that's a real bummer for me. Mm. Like the worst day of my life was when my daughter was born and I had to eat out of a vending machine. That's what that's (laughs) on the record. I want that to be there. (laughs) Do you remember what you had and was it corn nuts? (laughs) I think it was like two bags of Doritos and then like three or four Oreos, which again is not a good dinner. Uh, Not for a birth. It's corn nuts for a birth. You're right. Uh, Just like the first anniversary (laughs) is uh, Charleston Chew and birth of a child is uh, corn nuts. Yeah. I I have the chart at home. I just didn't bring it with me. Like it wasn't in our go bag. Just off the top of the dome for me. Uh, I I agree that I always have like a really sad time eating out of vending machines, which usually only happens on like long road trips at three in the morning and like Mm -hmm. a... Yeah, a rest stop somewhere where it's almost certainly poisoned by a lunatic. But uh, <laughs> I always get really excited when it's time to buy something else out of a vending machine. Like, I don't know what that is. I don't know what the dichotomy is between food makes me very sad. Right. And uh, but if you have me buy like a cord, like a cable in an airport. I'm yeah. Like, oh, oh. Those airport ones do feel oddly elevated, right? It's like, oh, I can get some $400 Bose headphones mm-hmm. out of the same machine that usually does candy. I'd get so cranky if I didn't get my $400 headphones out of the vending machine. Like, if that's when it <laughs> oh, decided man, to not quite fall out. Oh, my God. 
The karate kick oh. you would deliver to that machine? I would get such a running start. I'd say, all right, everyone in this gate needs to step back for karate. <laughs> it's not even the first time I said that. <laughs> I do. Yeah, now I wish, because those airport ones, it's like the more advanced, super modern one where it's a little arm that goes up and gets it. I do wish it was those weird old coils, though, that just yeah, rotate just very, very slowly. <laughs> You put your trust in this. I hope it's I hope it's the coil for those big ones in Dubai that deliver cars. Just a big coil pushes your car out. Oh. <laughs> and then it falls hundreds of feet into a bin. <laughs> and explodes and you're like, yep, that was yeah. worth it. You always hit the wrong <laughs> button. Exactly what I wanted to happen. It drops a refrigerator instead. You're like, ah, just a, a real human car salesman is what I wanted. Drops technically not slave labor which is dubai's other big export that's their slogan oh i hit b5 for technically not slave labor <laughs> those slaves got a long way to fall <laughs> there's such a when i was researching this topic i realized there's such a humongous range of vending machines like Technically, so many things are vending machines. Like there's the newspaper ones where it's a bucket you open mm -hmm. and ATMs are almost vending machines just for your own money. You know, like there's a lot of devices that give us things that otherwise a clerk could give us. It's, it's sort mm -hmm. of a universal item. Right. What do you eat out of a vending machine before we leave this topic, Schmitty? So I, I agree that like a meal out of it feels grim. And a snack out of it feels like a little treat. I actually like that okay. usually. And then I'm always chasing the high of uh, I got I got to study abroad, which was very nice. Uh, and I studied abroad in London. And the little building where we did our classes had some vending machines, and it's British candy, so we're just trying each thing progressively, you know. Mm -hmm. And the coil for specifically Lion Bars, which is a chocolate bar. Uh, the Lion Bars coil, for some reason, it was free. Like, you could just punch in that number oh. and get it for free, and you didn't have to pay for it. Oh, sweet. Were those terrible? Or they're, they're well, like... I mean, you would just reluctantly eat them? It's like, it's free. I think they're, like, all right, and then the freeness made them amazing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're not, they're not weird. It's, it's like, a pretty standard type of chocolate bar. And like a, I, just an okay candy, like a Milky Way, something that you're like, yeah, I guess. That's actually the first secretly incredibly fascinating thing. Every vending machine has one item that's free. That's real. <laughs> oh, that would be great. And it depends on how hard you karate kick it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, like, I'm chasing that high now all the time of like, I can't believe I had to pay for an item from a vending machine. I wish this was a lion bar in one weird Syracuse I, University building in London. I bet you think of that every single time you get something out of a vending machine. I do, yeah. <laughs> Just that wonderful, <laughs> wonderful memory. It's all a ploy. The guy that programmed the vending machine was just like, I'm going to, la I'm going to live forever in someone's mind. I'm, by making this one thing free, they're just always mm -hmm. going to think of this. It's, a, <laughs> it's my legacy. It's the same way when someone says, hey, it's magical. We had a child. It makes me think of the worst <laughs> dinner I ever had. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, also, Doritos and Oreos, that's like a main and a side, right? That's pretty good. There's some components. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I kind of drink exclusively Diet Mountain Dew when I'm having a soda, so almost everything else is just a real letdown. So if I'm having like a Diet Coke or a full like sugary Coke, I'm like, God, this is, I can't believe people drink this. Diet Mountain Dew is the peak? I, I, that's, the, that's the worst one I could think of. I love it so much. I'll drink. I would use that really? as like a joke answer of a soda like I got in a column or something. Yeah, no, I'll probably die. It says right on the can, like, it just has a picture of the rats that died during the testing process. And I'm like, well, to be you, rat. Part of that flavor. <laughs> yeah, I think they put them in. That's <laughs> part of the flavor. <laughs> this is by far the most disruptive we've ever been on a podcast, Trini. I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry. No. Already. This is right from the jump. Because vending machines, it's kind of like thinking about the entire universe of everything that's ever been sold. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I was talking to Soren Bowie the other day, and I just mentioned this topic was coming up. And he was like, oh, yeah, in my town, we had a cigarette vending machine until, like, the very modern day. And it was it was pretty weird. I found it strange. Like, cigarettes yeah, used those. to be a vending product all over, and now it's much rarer. Mm -hmm. you know? There's still every once in a while, I'll go once into a, a bar, and it'll be like a... 
one in the back. And every once in a while they work, which is crazy to me. I prefer a sad woman carrying a box on her waist. Just a 200-pound box of <laughs> mints and cigarettes. That's how they do it in Dubai. It's the fakest smile. Yeah, yeah. Real hateful eyes. Like, that's the way I like to buy my cigarettes. <laughs> so you can feel it. Yeah. <laughs> you almost want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for everything that led to this. But um, I'm sorry for just the capitalism in general, ma'am. <laughs> but I will still need those cigarettes. Yes. <laughs> like, what if what if there's that lady with the cigarettes and mints, and then there's another sales lady behind her selling apologies about capitalism? Like, it's a little script you can do. and uh... <laughs> That's a business. That's a real capitalist brain you got, Schmitty. It's like your, your carbon <laughs> off-print, your capitalist off-print. It's real entrepreneurial <laughs> mind. <laughs> yeah, well, before, before we give away too many other businesses, let's get into the, the stats and numbers for the show. Because uh, on every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. This week, that's in a segment called, Why'd you have to go and make things so fascinating? I see the way you're throwing facts and stats at your guests gets me animated. With pods like this, you talk so fast and you laugh with no breaks and you make topic votes and you turn them into podcast theory, fascinating things that become fascinating. Oh, oh, oh. That was really beautiful. Thank you. Alex, have you ever done this one? Do, 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 stats. Secretly incredible. Schmidt's phone one of us. Stats for if, every one of us. <laughs> Same with the mighty hand of a man, every woman and a child with a mighty stat. Somebody, somebody submitted it for the pears episode. Oh. If you want to hear me do it, not as well as Sean. You can hear it there. It's great. <laughs> yeah, what do you got to say now? Huh? Uh, How'd that bake go? I'm stat seeing with myself. Oh, oh, stat seeing with myself. Oh, that's good, though. Perfect recovery. Yeah, I don't think that one's been done. Great. <laughs> Here we go. Totally redeem yourself. I'm sure it was just the Zoom audio and not audio on your end, but when you hit that high note, the audio just didn't even try. It just cut out. Yeah. It muted you and put you in the background. Can't even train for that. I can't. I can't do it. Yeah. My Zoom screen had a little like text box on it that said, too beautiful. I've never seen that before. Warning. Oh. In the interface. Warning. Ernesty. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Rockway, do you have a, a stat song? I am not singing anything. I'm not doing that to my throat. <laughs> not doing that to your listeners. No, oh, yeah. No. And, uh, and that, uh, that Avril Levine one was submitted by Johnny Davis. Johnny, thank you so much for all these. We have a new name every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit to SifPod on Twitter or to SifPod at gmail.com. And there's a huge numbers section this week, because this is a very numerical topic, it turns out. First number is 215 BC. The year 215 BC. That is when Hero of Alexandria published a text called Nematica. And it's interesting because it's a very early written description of a coin-operated machine. It might be the first vending machine in all of history, 215 BC. And it delivered not technically slaves? <laughs> that's a, i mean yeah the 2000 years ago pretty good question yeah. uh but it uh it delivered sacrificial water Ooh. in temples in egypt and this was also after the conquest of alexander the great so it was ptolemaic egypt it was ruled by like greek influenced people so magic water you put in a coin you get magic water yeah that's right not and too the, bad not too bad the specific coin was a five drachma coin Drachma or a Greek, ancient Greek currency. You put that Now into... you have the capitalist mind. Is that a good deal for sacred water? <laughs> I, 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 they I didn't it's... even use code SIFPOD for a discount <laughs> on sacred water. <laughs> that's indulgences, right? Me doing promo codes on, on holy water? Yeah, that's just straight up Martin Luther things he protested. Got uh, I should be reformationed. That's what he was talking about. And, uh, and yeah, you put the five drachma coin into a slot on the top of an urn, and it was, it was very complicated. The coin then fell onto the arm of a balancing thing. That tilted a weight that opened a mouth of a spigot to release an amount of sacrificial water 
And then also when the coin fell off the arm, the like obstacle went back in the way. So it was even kind of a standard amount of holy water that you got out of this vending machine. Now, see, if it's if it works by weight, like my brain immediately skirts that issue. It's like, okay, I just need something that weighs the same as five drachma coin. And I wonder (laughs) if that's how 215 BC brains worked as well. Or if that's something... I think that's how you guarantee a spot in 215 BC hell. Like, it's it's holy yeah, water. Yeah, no, I, I understand <laughs> the, scamming the theological implications of stealing water from my dark and sacred gods. But, like, uh, <laughs> but I still wonder if, like, that's what went through their head. They're like, oh, I can, I can trick I, this god. Yeah. <laughs> Idiot god. That, uh, that idea did not come up around this in my source. My source is... The Great Vending Machine Book, which is a book by Michael Colmer, who's a British writer and historian. And thank you to the Brooklyn Public Library for an entire book about vending machines. He knows where you get all the best panties. You know he does. Oh, yeah. Are we going to talk talk about those vending machines that that are in the uh, club bathrooms? We have to. Have to. I don't really have anything about them. I think they just exist some places and are gross. They're truly awful, yeah. Like, I've put coins into them, and it's not like consistent what you get like it, it almost always there's like a random thing like you might just get a weird plastic frilly thing you put on that has oh. no reproductive uh purpose yeah to do it's, to do gotcha on birth control to do gotcha mechanic yeah. birth control <laughs> it's nuts like it, why do they have like a toy section yeah it's so wrong that they have a toy section right if it's a special <laughs> occasion for like oh sweetheart we're gonna like wear, do like a little outfit on my dong I'm going to just, you're going to get that not at a truck stop, but from hopefully like a a, a respected adult catalog. I don't know. Magnum clown costume down there because it's your birthday, honey. Full clown costume. It's a special day for you. You're right. Pretty sure the rainbow afro is protective. It's got a reservoir tip. I like how the clown costume vending machine would be most of the truck stop bathroom. Like, there wouldn't really be room for a toilet or, or anything else. <laughs> it's just a huge armoire that you it, put, a, I don't know, $10 in. Trust me, it it, uh, it doubles as a toilet. Oh, yeah. That's that's included in the finish. Yeah. <laughs> One time in, uh, in Portland at a... God, what was that bar called? I do not remember the name of the bar. It does not matter. Uh, I bought a firework out of one of those. Oh, that's and it, nice. It did not work. Oh, man. <laughs> to the surprise of nobody. <laughs> it's the least surprise I've ever been in my life. Like, like huh, fireworks, huh? Went outside, it was a dud. It's like, yeah, I deserve everything I get. <laughs> like, not just man. here, but in life. Like, if you're the, the, the fire department that came to that burned down bar, and they're like, well, I think I found the source of the fire, uh, it's going to sound crazy, but do you guys have a Firework vending machine in your bathroom. <laughs> it was just like one slot. You could buy condoms and fireworks. I mean, that, <laughs> that's that's such a good night. Yeah, it's an absolutely great night for the consumer. But uh, <laughs> that was definitely a black market shadow vending machine. <laughs> this, this is what happens when you bring up magic water vending machines, Smitty. Right. It's a the it's time a Rockway one. burned down a bar and blamed it on. I'm sorry. Am I getting this right? A firework vending machine. That's your story. Uh, yeah, that's that's as close as I could get. Yeah, I, was, I panicked a little bit. <laughs> you know, I, this this next story is pretty chaotic, so I'm going to get into it because the next number is six. Next number is six. Six is allegedly how many times a warehouse worker picked up and dropped a vending machine with a forklift because uh, their item got stuck. And uh, the the Des Moines Register covered this. This was 2014. Iowa warehouse worker named Robert McEvitt spent 90 cents on a Twix. That thing happened where the coil didn't turn far enough and it stayed there. His next mm. step, he put another dollar in, but the coil didn't turn at all that time. Oh, yeah. It's forklift time. And then according to the Atlantic, McEvitt claims that he used a warehouse forklift to pick up the vending machine and just move it further back against the wall. That's what the employee says. Just you know, just adjust it, shift it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But his employer claims he used the forklift to pick up and drop the machine at least six times. And they proceeded to fire him and deny him unemployment benefits for allegedly just smashing up this vending machine with a forklift to try to shake a Twix out of it. Did he get the Twix, though? Uh, uh 
based on the story, I don't think so. No. It seems this like no. Is shoddy reporting. That's the most important. How do you not know that for sure? That's your first question. Yeah. If it's any consolation to him, he's now my favorite Robert. I apologize. <laughs> apologize, Broadway. I burned down a bar for you. <laughs> that guy has the forklift spirit that I'm looking for in a Robert. <laughs> he got a use out of that forklift license. Or maybe not a forklift license. Maybe... This is just something he did completely off the books, but uh, I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, he got in that forklift for the very first time. It was just like, I've always wanted to. I'm doing it. <laughs> Finally, I have a reason. <laughs> yeah, it's a fun It's a fun use of it. And I think I almost believe the employee more than the business. It just seems like constantly, after the third or fourth dropping it, you would just stop and quit. But they claim he like repeatedly smashed it up and down with the forklift. It's kind of crazy. It's a principal thing at that point, yeah. Yeah, I, I understand that completely. If you do it once, and then you stop, like, what was the point of anything? Yeah. If you're doing <laughs> it, you do it hard, and you do it all the way. Yeah, you don't crack the seal on being a maniac. You, you're, it's open. Let the floodgates of mania <laughs> run free. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, next number here, this kind of solves that problem. The next number is 10. And 10 is a common number of infrared beams that are inside of a modern snack vending machine. The 10 beams are there to solve this problem of you buy a snack, it doesn't come down. Oh. Because according to Science Channel, it's, a, it's like a spinoff cable channel from Discovery. According to Science Channel, many new vending machines have its 10 infrared beams spread in a horizontal way in the space between the snacks up top and the bin below that they fall into. So if you buy a snack and nothing interrupts the beams, like nothing falls down, then the machine knows to keep turning the coil and keep pushing something forward until the beams do get interrupted. See, this is putting uh, forklift operators out of a job. (laughs) (laughs) That's garbage, though. That's not there to protect the consumer. That's there to keep you from getting your hand up there and grabbing candy bars. Yeah, I'm suspicious about that, Those are security lasers. Yeah, those are security lasers. (laughs) Yeah, you do not, as a vending machine corporation, you do not consider it a problem that your product did not come down when you already got the money. That is a bonus. That is built into your machine. That is built into your, like, budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See, that's a capitalist brain. Yeah, that's what capitalism is. There are, they're not Goldfinger lasers, but there are, like, more lasers involved in vending machines, too. Because Science Channel says there are also lasers inside of the modern coin slots, that can like measure the size of the coins put in to help detect what they are. And then there's another story from Northern California. It's a newspaper called The Press Democrat in Santa Rosa. They say that a company there in 2009 tested vending machine technology where the vending machine scatters lasers throughout the area, like outside of it. And if it doesn't (laughs) detect any motion then they turn off the vending machine until motion is detected again to like save energy and save money that way. Forklift detected. Yeah. Forklift det- initiating defenses. <laughs> Fires out like that vending machine for maximum overdrive. We have to have that vending machine for maximum overdrive somewhere oh, in this yeah, podcast. That's the podcast. Let's just start talking about that so we can get over in two oh. hours. I, I have not seen maximum overdrive. What? No, yeah, I haven't. We have such sights to show you. <laughs> okay, Maximum Overdrive. Do you know what it's about? Is that the one where Stephen King did the ad for it and he seemed high on cocaine? He was extremely high on cocaine. He, yeah. uh, I believe he directed it uh, yeah, entirely high on cocaine. Uh, barely remembers okay, any yeah. of it, and you can really feel it. And it's about a comet, sort of, that uh, brings all the machines on Earth to life, <laughs> and they oh. <laughs> they independently attack humanity. And okay. uh, I believe it all kicks off with that vending machine where... A little league coach goes to like get some get something out of a soda vending machine, and it starts firing soda cans at him. One hits him right in the d- and he goes down. All the players laugh like ha ha ha, and then it fires another one and caves in his skull in front of them. And they're like, oh my god! And then it starts killing children. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, <laughs> Ex- explain that with your vending machine science. What? Are, which one of the infrared beams did that? <laughs> Hold on, let me get my voice on. And that's our fourth fact for today. <laughs> <laughs> what if like that machine is out of frame holding me hostage like it's gonna fire a pepsi at me if i talk about it 
Like <laughs> that's how we know the robot wars have kicked off. When that that's that's your flag right there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just waiting for it. Yeah, and uh speaking of vending machine danger, the next number here is six hundred pounds. And six hundred pounds is about two hundred and seventy two kilograms, and that's the weight of a soda vending machine that in 2019 fell on top of a man without killing him. Hmm. Uh, this was covered by Fox 5 Atlanta. This was in the Atlanta area. There was a handyman named Carl Marino. He was hired to just do tasks around a gym. One of them was loading a soda machine onto a truck, but it fell and pinned him. Uh, employees at a nearby business heard it and pulled it off of him. And on the news report, he like seems pretty okay. He's not in like a huge body cast or anything. No, and that's how he found out he was unbreakable. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a single tag team maneuver. 600 pounds on you. Like, oh, yeah. A, a human man should be able to take that. Yeah. And there's like, uh, I think there's... based on wrestling. <laughs> based based on, on wrestling. WWEology. We know that it's. <laughs> <laughs> there aren't amazing sources for it, but people have recorded deaths from vending machines crushing people. The most solid number is from a study by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. They analyzed from 1978 to 1995 reports they received. And in that 17-year period, they counted 37 deaths and over 100 injuries. So, you know, not very many. It's very rare. Uh, You'll also see people on the Internet point out that that's like more than shark deaths in a lot of years, statistically. But, you know, a vending machine can kill someone if it falls on them. It's just incredibly rare. They should legally have to, in the obituary, publish what you were trying to buy if mm-hmm. you're killed by a vending machine. Like, that no. needs to be the last the last word in your obituary. It's just like Snickers. <laughs> God, think of the whimsical <laughs> impact that would have on your death. Like, you, you led a full life, you had a family that loved you, and then you die tragically, but kind of hilariously... Yeah, the very last one is like is Cool Ranch Doritos. Right. The very last line. You'll be remembered and missed by all. Donations can go to you know the local church and uh, Cool Ranch Doritos. <laughs> it is it is kind of an embarrassing death if you were trying to shake a stuck item out of the machine and and yeah. did it to yourself. But if like Which is, random gravity all... did it, it's less embarrassing. It's no, just tragic. Sure. It's not random. Gravity does not tend to be very random. I, I've known it for a long time. I feel confident That's saying that it, point. it has mm-hmm. it has a pretty good impulse control. Uh, I think every single person that died was trying to shake it out of the vending machine. Yeah, which is yeah. a fool's move. That's why you either forklift or karate kick, as we have established. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Linda, and next number here. This is March twenty twenty six. So that's a month and year, March 2026. That is when the country of Japan is going to phase out the TASPO card system, T-A-S-P-O. And I sent you guys a picture of like a mock-up of a TASPO card because it's a special ID card that the country of Japan does specifically for cigarette vending machines. It lets you prove your age at a cigarette vending machine to buy cigarettes. Tabako Taroa. Tobacco Taroa. What do you think that means? Tobacco Taroa. Oh. I'm reading the katakana. I read Japanese like a tiny baby, but... Oh, wow. Is that someone's name? I didn't know you could do that. This is very exciting. Uh, (laughs) It's probably... It's definitely like a mock-up card. So, yeah, it's it's probably all like his address is 123 Anywhere Street kind of stuff. But, uh, Mm -hmm. yeah. His name's Tobacco, which is a a pretty sweet name. (laughs) The very first time I heard Sean speak Japanese, I was like, you can't do that. That's racist. And then he was like, no, that's real. I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Actual skill. I carry a very racist energy with me to my foreign language speaking. (laughs) Yeah, this is is the only country I could find like this where there's an entire ID card system for using a vending machine. And it's because there's an age minimum to buy cigarettes, but also cigarette vending machines are super common in the country. And starting in 2008, they rolled out a program where you can get this ID card. Over 10 million of the cards have been issued. It's it's like a reasonably common thing in Japanese wallets is a is an ID card chiefly for getting cigarettes out of vending machines. Kind of everything has been in a vending machine. We'll link about uh, a Beverly Hills vending machine that vended caviar at one point. 
apparently there were some vending machines for live crab in parts of China at one point. Like it's a you can put almost anything in modern machines now, you know. Oh my god, their maximum overdrive is going to be so much better than ours. If their vending machine shoots live crabs, <laughs> firing crabs at 100 miles an hour. Yeah. All the kids laugh when it hits them in the and then they don't laugh and that crab goes right through his skull. <laughs> and that's how the crab apocalypse starts. Yeah, you have a whole second apocalypse just for crab. <laughs> Right. It turns out we were not previously at the maximum level of overdrive. There were no crabs <laughs> inside the machines. It was moderate overdrive yeah, was, before. Yeah, medium overdrive at most, yeah. <laughs> maximum overdrive crab. That's the name of the movie. Yeah. When the, and then these TASPO cards are being phased out, and the main reason is that they are like pretty advanced. They transmit information over a 3G telecom network. But 3G is a little bit old now. That network's getting phased out in 2026. And so the program, instead of like being upgraded, it's just going to phase out from there. And this is so the government can control our minds, right? Yeah, thanks. <laughs> thanks, big government. <laughs> thanks, various Gs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm going to miss my TASPO card. Yeah. Also, very fun that uh, you're able to read some of the, the language. Have you ever been there? Have you ever like used a vending machine there? Uh, I haven't. No, I, I, I don't like to leave the house much. Oh, yeah, sure. Cool. I just... <laughs> it's far away. You know, like, I, I don't blame you, but uh, cool. Yeah. It's too far. So, oh, so the past couple of years have been real convenient. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> people are like, oh, I can't deal with this pandemic. I'm like, this is real nice, guys. Like, no one's inviting me to things that I have to make excuses for. So, beautiful. <laughs> All right, off of that, we're going to a short break, followed by the big takeaways. See you in a sec. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. When the the last number brings us into the first big takeaway for the episode, that last number is eighteen eighty three, which is a year eighteen eighty three. That is the year when a British inventor named Percival Everett patented and installed his first postal vending box in the city of London. Because the first takeaway here, takeaway number one, the first British vending machines dispensed postal supplies or drugs. Or drugs. One of two. <laughs> and it's this just like those fun. trucker vending machines for condoms. You're not sure what you're going to get. Yeah, you're getting a firework <laughs> and a condom. You have two needs joined together. Just like stamps and cocaine. I need stamps and cocaine. <laughs> right. It's such a common need. I'm glad you bundled it together. It really saves me a stop. Nice work, Percival. <laughs> yeah. Both of these help me connect with people, right? Stamps, <laughs> cocaine. Stamps, cocaine. Nope. <laughs> Either way, I'm more outgoing. Uh, <laughs> God, your segues are so on point. Just incredible. <laughs> Thank you. Just top-notch podcasting. <laughs> Well, and this is this is a pair of stories for those two things, uh, but the combination is to explain British vending machines, which seem to be kind of the first modern example of a country having a lot of vending machines all over. 
Um, main sources are The Great Vending Machine Book by Michael Colmer from before, also online resources from the New York Public Library, and an amazing article for Bon Appetit by Catherine Hollander. And me from that for that fireworks story. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a source. Yeah. Well, and, uh, and then this, this postal vending machine. So in 1883, a guy named Percival Everett installs one at Mansion House Station in the city of London. It was a cast iron box on top of an iron pillar. And I sent you guys a picture of this thing. It does not look that big in the picture. Mm-hmm. But according to Michael Colmer, it was so heavy because it was made of so much iron. It took a crew of 20 men to move and install <laughs> this postal vending machine. They were very small men back Londoners. then. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like in the picture. Sick with consumption, every one of them. In the picture, it's smaller than the guy using it. Like, it's not that big, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you could not get 20 men's hands on that thing. It just wouldn't work. I right. can't <laughs> imagine that thing being more than 400 pounds, no matter what it's made out of. Like, I, I just don't... Yeah. I don't get where it's... They, it was 1883. I don't know if you've ever been to, like, a museum and seen, like, the costumes and, you know, armor oh. they wore back then. But I think everyone was 4'6 and probably <laughs> and 60, 50 pounds. Yeah. Had polio most of their life. I I could see. Running, running on, like, one rotten fish a day in London. <laughs> I could see 20 very tiny men having trouble with that. Right. <laughs> like... 20 men or three people who've eaten more than gruel in their entire lives. 20, uh, <laughs> 20 consumption smurfs just wrestling with this thing. Yeah. <laughs> but and, uh, and this machine, it was like pretty simple, but also pretty advanced. It had two compartments. There was one compartment for blank postcards and there was one compartment for pre-stamped envelopes. So people could buy those anytime, day or night, including postal holidays it was coin operated with pennies. It was also advanced enough where if the machine was out of stock, like if it ran out of envelopes or ran out of postcards, a little spring would push the coin slot closed. So you couldn't like oh. pay into it and then get nothing, which is awesome. That's just very good technology. Right. And these were a huge hit. Uh, apparently within two years, Everett formed a company and installed over 100 vending machines across London Within two years later from that, they operated over 1,500 postal vending machines in the UK. And within 10 years, somebody in New York City copied this and did their own postal vending machine in the US. So this was this was kind of the first hit vending machine in the world, was a British postal vendor. But it was really about the drugs, I'm assuming. <laughs> like mo- It's got to uh-huh. be mostly the drugs. It's like how the... The adult store happens to sell amyl nitrate. Mm-hmm. We're like, how did they do so much business? Oh, well, we're, we just offer this fun bonus of drugs. It's really about <laughs> all of this old school pornography that we have. And it's really about oh. the stamps here. Everybody loves these. Everybody's wildly addicted to these stamps. They love them. They can't get another stamps. Woo, I'm the stamp king. I think my I think my takeaway setup might have been misleading. I'm saying there's like another machine prior to this that was a hit drug vending machine. Oh. So this is like the first uh, sort of, you know, legal proper hit vending machine was the postal machine. So there's no stamps and drugs vending machine? Yeah, there's not one combo. I'm thing. so I'm so let down. <laughs> Brockway is used to some very adventurous vending machines. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to really up your vending machine game to get me. Already doing like sex toys and fireworks. You, I, th- I, I thought this was my next kink with the drug and <laughs> stamps. <laughs> I got to mail a lot of drugs. It saves me a lot of time. Right. I like to lift things that took 20 men to install. That's my kink. <laughs> <laughs> Do you wear one of those little strongman singlets where it's over just Absolutely. one shoulder? And then there's a funny barbell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the barbells say 1,000 on each. Yeah. I don't know what they're 1,000 of, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> I make a big show of it. I walk around with my arms out. I'm like, everyone gather around to see the man lift the box. Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing I do. And the other machine here, so this is this way predates the postal ones. It was something called an honor box. And I sent you guys a picture of this, too. It's It's not wild looking, but... As early as 1615 AD, so more than 200 years earlier. I I think just from the name, I know what this is. This is where you put the finger of an unfaithful wife. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's a real ominous name. When you call something an honor box, I'm immediately like, this yeah. is some like Puritan sex thing. Yeah, this like, is, this is like where you Christian lock up thing. your genitals yeah. for a period yeah. of time until yeah. you can calm down. Don't like it. Like this is where <laughs> this is a jail. It's <laughs> immediately what I assume. It really does sound that way. Yep. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Especially the UK being the source of this story. All our presumptions about them come come roaring in. Yeah. <laughs> and that is something that it's a, an adorable term for a terrible thing. So that does sound like them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But these are these are super fun honor boxes. So this is this was throughout like pubs, taverns, gathering places in Britain. It's just a little box with one coin slot on it and then one door. And then you just take the one. Is that the is that the honor system that you have access to all the candy? So you it was either full of tobacco or snuff. So it was just straight up a big box of drugs. That was okay. the vending machine. Finally. But it, it was basically the mechanism of like a modern newspaper vending machine where you just pay mm-hmm. once and open the whole thing. And just a bucket of loose tobacco. Yeah, and the idea was once you put it in a half penny coin, you open it, and on your honor, you take out a reasonable amount of the drugs and then close the door again to make the next person pay. You also don't like empty it out. You know, seems reasonable to me. Right. <laughs> this this one failed. Right. This is this is an anomaly in your vending machine research. Right. Lasted no. one day for one user. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, then he immediately saw the problem. It's like, oh, right, right. A moderate amount of drugs that'll work, uh, but it <laughs> it basically seems to have. And I think it was a combination of a few things. One is just like you know old timey morality in a good way. Like people just didn't want to do that, right? But also the common trope with these was that the wife of the pub owner or tavern owner managed this like they bought the drugs and then they received the income from the drugs and and like they ran this as a little side business so it was probably a thing of like not cheating ladies was okay. was something that held this uh ostensibly impossible to hold together system together of the communally pawed drugs that you then put <laughs> up your nose <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> right humongously unsanitary yeah like <laughs> how did we survive as a people <laughs> but and this was this was all over the uk it was very common it stayed popular through the 1700s and apparently also in a few of britain's colonies including the united states this practice got there so there there were at least a few u.s honor boxes I legitimately thought you were starting to say the 70s instead of the 1700s, and I was not going to be surprised. No. <laughs> this is still how I picture, like, the UK. Just if you had a big box of loose snuff that everybody's like, on your honor, gov. Yep. <laughs> Oi, that, he took five handfuls. <laughs> Seems reasonable to me. <laughs> he has no honor. <laughs> and they pull out their broadswords. That's in the 1970s. Yeah. 70s. Yeah. yeah. yeah the year 1977, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Stupid Margaret Thatcher outlawing broadswords. <laughs> ah, so mad. That's the timeline. <laughs> Star Wars is in theaters. Broadswords in the street. <laughs> well, and, uh, and there's just one other takeaway for the main episode, which brings us to the U.S., So here we go. Takeaway number two. The idea for the first snack vending machine came from a New Yorker and from the leader of Mexico. And one more time, the first snack vending machine that came from a person from New York and also from the leader of Mexico. It's a relatively quick story, but a surprising pair of people contributed. Just just a random guy from New York, the, the actual leader of Mexico and just some random guy from New York. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and and some people may have heard of this leader, but the the start of the story is that in 1887, so a few years after Britain starts doing postal vending machines, uh, in 1887, a New Yorker named Thomas Adams starts the Adams Gum Company and puts up gum vending machines on the train platforms in New York City to sell tutti-frutti flavored gum. That became the first hit American vending machine, was a gum machine. So we went to snacks first. We did the postal stuff after the British, but America. Very into snacks. And you said his name was D- Dr. Thaddeus Tutti Frutti? 
<laughs> yeah, I wish uh, Thomas Adams. And he, he's also okay. hard to Google because that was like a son of a son of John Adams, the president. It, there's a lot of confusing Thomas results for them. Tutti but, Fruity Adams. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, and so Thomas Adams does this gum company, but also where he got the idea is super, super, super interesting. Because according to the New York Public Library, like decades before the 1880s, Adams is a young man living in Mexico, working as a personal secretary for Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana. People might know that name Santa Ana from, like, Mexican history or U.S. history. He was the Mexican general who attacked the Alamo. Like, he was a a pretty famous Mexican leader of the 1800s. And one of his employees was the guy who invented gum vending machines and snack vending machines in the U.S. And he got the idea from... Santa Ana? Yeah, so chewing gum was not really much of a thing in the U.S., but Adams noticed that Santa Ana chewed chicle for fun, and chicle is a rubbery latex from the sapodilla tree. And and he was one of many Mexicans who did this. Santa Ana didn't, like, invent it. But Adams saw his boss doing this. He said, hey, I'm an inventor. I'm going to turn chicle into a material for rubber tires. And that did not work. But then he went the whole other direction and said, You idiot, I'm eating this. Yeah. <laughs> it's just taking it out of his mouth, gets fired. Uh, yeah. <laughs> now, My gum uh, tires. Alex, I also speak a little Spanish. And you would say, um, La chicle de tutas frutas. <laughs> just if you want to put that in the yeah. notes. That, uh, every time every time you speak a foreign language, I assume it's racist. <laughs> I don't think there's a, like a non-racist way to say what I said. Like you really you really have to Maybe that's it. <laughs> well you I feel like you were also encouraged by knowing he was a powerful general. So you were like, yeah. I'm gonna do the the wildest, most masculine voice I can. Gotta project. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. <laughs> And, uh, so he didn't like steal the idea for the vending machine from Santa Ana. It was just sort of loosely related. Santa Ana didn't have like a big bucket and you put a coin in and grab as much gum as you want. <laughs> oh, that would be great. Yeah. No, he's he's mostly famous for uh, being a general and later president of Mexico and, and kind of a strong man, too. Yeah. Santa Ana's Chicle Bucle. <laughs> and so this guy added fruit flavor to his rubber tires, if I'm understanding correctly. And the rest is history. Essentially, yeah, he, he was like an amateur chemist. And so he said, like, if I harden this Chicle into tires, does that work? And that doesn't work. So then he went the other direction and said, if I like soften it a little bit, add sugar, add artificial flavor, is that a saleable treat? And it was. We're all amateur chemists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can all give it a shot. Yeah, we can all be like, is this something? I'm going to try to harden this gum and see if it's tires. It's not. No. Maybe it's still food. It's four days well, later. It like mm, no, I've come to one. the conclusion that this food I started out with is still food. <laughs> Science. Yeah, and so he like borrowed the habit from Santa Ana and then did his own flavoring it up spin and then borrowed the vending machine idea from kind of the 1880s world around him because this was just becoming popular as a thing in the uk and and he thought of hey we can put a machine on train platforms without paying a salesman uh, it's america uh, and so that combination created the adams gum company later he worked with wrigley and others and and you know that kind of became the american first vending machine was snacks that was our way to go and we just borrowed it from everybody else we're the ones that came up with the word borrowing to mean stealing. <laughs> yeah, because we speak our standard language, which is called American. We didn't get it from somewhere else. Mm-hmm. It's not from another country like out east a ways, you know. No, yeah. we put these things together and uh, it's a new thing and we, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> Amateur inventors, all of us. <laughs> I think, I think that's <laughs> Get out of here, Santa Ana. We're taping a podcast. Every time with this, Santa Ana. Go, go back to the Battle of San Jacinto, where you belong. I keep locking the door, but he keeps putting that damn gum in the locks. <laughs> <laughs>
That is the main episode for this week. My thanks to Robert Brockway and Sean Baby for being like a Twix bar. You get two wonderful things out of that one package. So great. Anyway, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on Patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic is the surprising origins of the U.S. $1 bill. Visit SIFpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of almost seven dozen other bonus shows, and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring vending machines with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, the first British vending machines dispensed postal supplies or drugs. Takeaway number two, the idea for the first snack vending machine came from a New Yorker and from the leader of Mexico. Plus a huge slew of modern vending machine stories, ancient vending machine contraptions, and more. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. They're great. 1900hotdog.com is the URL. Very easy. 1900hotdog. They're also on Patreon. They make a bunch of that site free to read. And if you want even more site and also to be a hot dog hero and make the whole thing possible, go to the Patreon for 1900hotdog. Also going to link other stuff. Robert's latest novel is wonderful. It's entitled Carrier Wave. And then Sean developed a mobile game. It's entitled Calculords. Also, it's in the process of being reformatted for the newest Apple iOS. So I am thrilled for that day to come, putting the link there in the meantime. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great book called The Great Vending Machine Book by Michael Colmer. A fantastic video from the Science Channel on US cable or YouTube. Further resources from Bon Appetit, the New York Public Library, turn to the Yomuri Shinbun for updates on the Taspo card in Japan. Find those and many more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. I hope you love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I'm thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>